0: We're going to be in Luke chapter number 19, the story of the wee little man Zacchaeus that we all sing. If you were, grew up in church, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I thought maybe we could all sing it this morning, but I'll spare you. Uh, but it does bring back good memories singing that song. But there's so many truths packed into this passage that I want us to see. Jesus, verse 10, it says he came to seek and to save that which was lost, his mission here on earth, right, to seek us out. I'm thankful he sought me out when I was a young boy and saved me from my sin. And gave me the privilege to serve him. Uh, But I want us to be reminded from this passage this morning that salvation is a supernatural act of God, that he has the power to save the chiefest, the wickedest of sinners, and to turn them into a saint, to change their life, to transform them. He does the same today. That's what missions is all about. If we didn't believe that God could change the soul of a man and turn him from a sinner into a saint, from a wicked man into a godly man, what are we doing here? God does have that power, doesn't he? He does it one soul at a time, one person at a time, and he's still in the saving business. And he does that overseas. He does that here. It's hard for me to believe that anybody is, truly has a burden for missions and to send missionaries around the field if they don't have a burden for those that live next door to them and in their community. It's easy to throw money at a missionary, but God wants us all to be involved in the Great Commission here in our own towns the people we meet as well. And so I want us to see in this passage, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and I want us to see five supernatural acts of God that took place in the conversion of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost." First thing I want us to see that's supernatural here in this story, I see in verse number 1, it says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And you might say, well, I don't see anything supernatural. He enters and passes through Jericho. I want us to get a little bit of context. Go back to chapter 18 with me, verse number 31. The Bible says, Then he, that's Jesus, took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. So here we have Jesus. He's, he's with his disciples, and he's walking. He's headed towards Jerusalem. He's going up to Jerusalem. Every direction you come from is up, because Jerusalem's high. And uh, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. Where were they headed? Jerusalem, why were they headed there? Jesus is going to be crucified, isn't he? He tells his disciples that all the things the prophets had written concerning him would be accomplished, and they'd written a lot. He was going to be bruised for our iniquities. He was going to be uh, uh, bruised and, and chastised for our sins. The iniquity that we committed would be placed upon Jesus Christ. He would suffer the wrath of God that we deserve, that I deserved. All the sins that ever I had done, the thoughts that were evil that ever I had thought, Jesus was soon to take upon Him. He knew the future. He knew that his beard was going to be ripped out of his face. He knew the crown of thorns would be placed upon his head. He knew that old Roman whip, that, that, that awful scourge that would have nine strands of leather. On the end of each piece would be, a, each strand of leather would be a sharp piece of glass or metal or bone or such. So when that whip would come around the back of Jesus, it would literally dig into his skin and just rip shreds of skin away from him. He was truly mangled and bloodied. The Bible says he was hardly recognized as a man. He knew this was soon to happen to him. And worse than all, the physical torture. He knew that your sins and my sins would be placed upon him and he would be suffering all alone the wrath of God upon him. We find that when he gets there, he he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane first and he prays all night long and he sweated as it were great drops of blood. Why? He was in agony of spirit. He knew what was going to happen. I find here the first supernatural thing is that Jesus walked A pre-designed path. He walked a pre-designed path. Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem. He knew Zacchaeus was going to be there. And in spite of all of this that was on him, all of this weight that was on him facing the cross, we find him stopping and taking the time for a wicked man named Zacchaeus, going along his path, inviting himself to go to his house. And you say, as Jesus was facing the cross here, I would think that if any man in history ever had an excuse to be preoccupied with himself with what he was going through with his own trials his own sufferings his own grief I think it would have been Jesus here would have had a legitimate excuse to be weighed down with that but instead of caring only for himself and what was going to happen to him instead of being focused only on the cross what do we find him doing? Caring for a sinner Zacchaeus he's walking through Jericho, he knew Zacchaeus was going to be there, but that path was laid out and it was planned for him. Jesus walked this pre-designed path. May I remind you this morning, if you're a believer here, you walk a path that's been pre-designed for you. I'm not talking about a fatalistic idea where it says that whatever happens, it happens and, and I have no choices. My God is so powerful and so sovereign that he can allow even a wrong choice that I make, a sinful choice to happen. And yet he still controls and he still still is in charge of everything. He can take a a wrong choice that I make and he can use it for good in my life. But God here has designed a path for you and for me. We're walking on a path and and on my path I have people that I get to influence. On your path there are people that you'll meet that you have influence over. People that will never step foot in this church building. People that will never meet your pastor. People that will never meet a missionary but they've met you. And you have the gospel. You know that Jesus has saved you from your sin. You know, you know that they, you have the good news to offer to them. But if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, what can happen is we can become tunnel vision. and We can become consumed with the actual path that we are on rather than with all the Zacchaeuses that are all along our path that need a Savior. Have you ever stopped to think that perhaps the reason God lets you go through the things He lets you go through is not just to put you through pain. But it's because if you didn't go through that pain, you would have never noticed Zacchaeus that needs a Savior. You. you might say, Lord, why, why me? Why now? I don't want to be, I don't want to have a flat tire on the side of the road at this moment in time. It's never opportune. Maybe God knows that a Zacchaeus is going to come along your path. And if you hadn't had that flat tire, you'd have never met him. And you'd have never had opportunity to share with him the gospel. One thing I noticed when my wife was laying in a hospital bed in Brazil was that everyone around me was suffering too. And what do you think a hospital is? Everybody there is either suffering or that they're visiting somewhere that's suffering, right? But praise the Lord, when we go through suffering as believers, I have Jesus. I have the everlasting arms to lean upon. I have his peace in my heart and his joy that, that he's going to work everything in my life for good. And I can, I can look outside of my suffering, I can look outside of my pain and my tribulation and my trial, and I say, Lord, help me to minister and help me to preach and, and witness to those who are also suffering, but they don't have you. If the world can't look at us as believers and see that when we go through trials, and notice I said when we do, we all do, we live in a sin-cursed earth, when we go through trials, we respond differently. We respond with joy and with peace in our hearts. Yes, we're going through pain. And yes, we may have uh, struggles in our hearts. And we may be in hurting and in pain physically. But we can have joy in our hearts because we have Jesus. When you have him, you have everything. And if you didn't go through things in life, how would you ever get to meet those Zacchaeuses that need a Savior? Let me challenge you this morning. You may say, Brother Jeremy, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Maybe nobody does. But I can assure you this morning, there is one that does. His name is Jesus. He walks with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the only reason that he can say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, is because he was forsaken for you in your place. Forsaken of God the Father so that you might never be forsaken. And he walks with you and he knows everything you're going through. Let me challenge you this morning look to Jesus and ask Him to help you to look outside of the path that you're walking on and not be tunnel vision and say, Lord, help me to notice all those Zacchaeuses all along my path. Help me to have the boldness and the courage to share with them the gospel. Help me to to ignore or to look past my pain, I should say, not ignore it, to look past my pain and my struggles and my trials and look to those that need Jesus. This body's going to die, it's plagued with sin. There used to be a billboard in our town in Shelby. There was a place called Hallelujah Acres and they did a plant-based diet and helped a lot of people. It's great. But they had a billboard that was just a lie. It said, you don't have to be sick. And I always used to chuckle. And i go, well, some sickness we bring on ourselves, maybe with diet and other things, but um, eventually you have to be sick. The, the world is cursed, isn't it? Our bodies are going to die unless the Lord comes back first. But one day I'm going to have a new body with no sin, it's never even going to want to sin. Praise the Lord for that. And, uh, and, and it will and be perfect without, without pain, without suffering. But for now, instead of saying, Lord, help me out of this, I can say, Lord, help me through this. Help me through this. As I walk this path of suffering, help me to see others. They need a Savior. Jesus walked a pre-designed path. The second supernatural thing I see here is that a publican was convinced to seek Jesus? Verses two and three it says, "Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was." And you say, "Well, what's the big deal about Zacchaeus seeking Jesus?" Zacchaeus was a publican, not just any publican, but the chief among the publicans. A publican was tax collector, but they were hated; they were despised. Uh, Rome had conquered Israel, along with many other places. And they had imposed taxes upon them. And there were men, Jewish sellouts, that would work for the Roman government and collect taxes from their own people. They were seen as sellouts and wicked men. They were hated. They would get rich off the poor. They would pad their pockets. They would charge more than they were supposed to because they had the authority of the Roman government behind them. They'd do whatever they wanted to do as long as they turned in what they were supposed to. They'd get, keep the rest for themselves. Zacchaeus here wasn't just any publican. He was chief. He was a rich guy, not by working hard. He may have worked hard at stealing, but not by doing the, the right kind of work. And he'd gotten rich off the people. Publicans at this time were known as so deceitful and so wicked, they couldn't enter the temple. They were seen as unclean. They could not oftentimes testify in court because they were seen as liars and deceitful. They were hated. Jericho at this point in time was known as a, it could be known as a party city. And I ask you a question. Why would this rich man, who could have been, obviously he was off at this point in time. He could have been up in his nice house, partying with his friends, enjoying his riches. Instead, we find him walking down a dusty, dirty old path, climbing up into a tree to seek out this poor Nazarene Jesus, who had not a place to lay his head. Why was Zacchaeus seeking him out? I'm reading between the lines a little, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit goes before and he convinces men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I can't say that Zacchaeus, the moment he climbs in the tree, was ready to be saved. But I know one thing. There was something that God had done in his heart to draw him, to seek this Jesus out, to see more. What's, what's up with this Jesus? I've heard things about him. Maybe he knew Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He was a tax collector. Maybe Matthew had worked for Zacchaeus. I don't know. Maybe Zacchaeus had heard of the change and how, how Matthew had left all and followed Christ. Maybe Matthew had prayed for him. But whatever the reason, I believe God was working in Zacchaeus' heart and drawing him to himself. So he gets to this point where he's up in the tree and he's seeking out Jesus to see who he was. Can I remind you this morning that God is still doing that? There may be a neighbor a loved one, a friend you've been praying for for 20 years. And you look, and you may say, they're just so wicked. There's, I talk to them of Christ, and it's just like a blank stare. There seems to be nothing going on in their heart. They, they're not interested. But as a believer, we have the inside scoop. We know something that they won't even admit to us. God's working in their hearts. Don't give up on those who don't respond immediately to the gospel. Keep sowing. Keep praying. Don't give up on the heathen around you. The ones in other countries and you think, how could they be so so wicked? God's working in their hearts. He's drawing them to himself. He's doing that supernatural work that I can't do. I can't convince a man that he's lost. Sounds like foolishness to him. But I can preach God's word and I can know that God's word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I can depend upon God, the Holy Spirit, as I preach his word, that his spirit will work in men's hearts and do that unseen work. No matter what the outward facade is, God softens and he molds and he brings men to himself. He takes those rock-hard hearts and he breaks them into pieces. He melts them, the hearts of stone. He's drawing men to himself and we get to be a part of this. We get to share the gospel, and we get to tell them of Christ, and we get to see God work. Don't give up on the lost. God's still drawing. Keep praying. There's always hope because God is drawing men to himself. Jesus walked a predesigned path. A publican was convinced to seek him. And then the third supernatural thing I see in verse number 4 and 5, it says, He ran before, he climbs up to a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he saw him. He saw him. Jesus saw the unseen. You say, well, what's the big deal about Jesus seeing a guy in a tree? How is that supernatural? Put your mind in the passage with me. Imagine you're there. Why couldn't Zacchaeus get to Jesus? Why was he in the tree? He was short, a little of stature, right? But the song doesn't quite do it justice, okay? If I have a short guy on stage beside me, he's not going to have any problem seeing me. All of you see me just fine, right? He was short, but just the shortness by itself wasn't a problem. He couldn't get to Jesus because of what? The press, the crowd, the multitude. How big of multitudes followed Jesus? This one, it doesn't say, but we read of the feeding of the 5,000 that was just men not counting women and children feeding of the 4,000 that was just men not counting women and children there are often crowds of thousands let's say there was only a couple hundred here what's going on in a crowd that size you got 200 people that's 400 feet shuffling around a lot of commotion maybe you got some kids tugging on mama's skirt wanting a snack Maybe you've got some Pharisees over here in this little group and they're talking and discussing questions that they're going to ask Jesus next so they can try to trip him up. Jesus very likely as he's walking is teaching. So there's a lot going on and if you're walking in the middle of a crowd of 200 people, say, you're probably not looking in the tree. You're, you're not looking around to see if there's birds flying around. You're concentrating on what you're doing and there's just lots of commotion. So much so that your average person is not just going to notice the Zacchaeus in the tree. I don't think Zacchaeus climbed into the tree to be seen. Those people hated him. He climbed in the tree to see Jesus, probably without being seen, so he could see what was going on. But Jesus saw the unseen. He's God. He sees everything, doesn't he? I think Jesus, knowing Zacchaeus was going to climb in that tree, arranged it to where he'd be the one that got to right walk right under that tree instead of it being maybe on the edge of the crowd or something. He walks up and looks up. And I can just, can you just imagine the, the, the pause in time as Jesus' eyes meet Zacchaeus' eyes? And then as Jesus meets and locks eyes with Zacchaeus, all of a sudden the crowd looks up. Zacchaeus is probably terrified. And the crowd of all these people down there that hates my guts. Jesus is looking at me in the tree. What's he going to say to me? Jesus saw the unseen. Can I remind you something this morning? If you're a believer, who is it that lives in you? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit from the day of redemption. In other words, He lives in us, He indwells us. You realize that He still sees everything? Let me bring this home to you in a practical application. You ever been out, maybe in a Walmart, restaurant, grocery store, gas station, walking down the sidewalk? And God, the Holy Spirit, prompts your heart and says, see that person over there? I want you to talk to him. I want you to talk to her. I want you to tell them of me. I want you to give them a tract, invite them to church. And maybe you think, Lord, why why me? Why now? I'm just trying to buy my groceries and get out of here. I wasn't coming here to talk to anybody. I'll tell you why you and why then. It's because God sees everything. There may be a... 20-year history behind the reason God wants you to talk to that person at that moment in time that you don't even know. Maybe God has been drawing them as he did Zacchaeus, working in their hearts. Maybe they were hardened and and hated God and loved their sin as all men do, blinded from the truth, and God molded them and and used somebody to come across their path and, and maybe witness to them or maybe sow a seed of the gospel. And God began to use his word and draw them. Maybe they've gone through trauma in their life and God has finally, he's brought them to their knees. And they finally realize, I have nothing. I have no hope. And you don't see it on the outside. All you see is a person. But God sees their inside. And he lives in you and he can tell you, go talk to that person. They need me. When we disobey God and we don't obey his promptings, Could there be Zacchaeuses we've walked right on by that were possibly ready to be saved and we just ignored and walked right on down our path? Because we're busy. We didn't care. We didn't understand why. We didn't believe that God could really do a work in that person's heart because we didn't know them. God sees the unseen. We must listen. I believe that when we walk yielded and walking with God, yielded to the Holy Spirit, He'll give us opportunities. There'll be people, the Bible says, some sow, some water, and God gives the increase. There'll be times when you'll get to reap a harvest and see somebody saved and come to Christ. And you didn't sow, you didn't water, but God brought you right along the path right at that right time. And He saw the thing you didn't see. And He He made you meet at that right time. And He gave you the prompting to give them the gospel. Could we see more people saved? If we would... Listen and walk with God, and listen, realizing He sees everything. When you pray for your missionaries, say, "Lord, would you open our missionaries' eyes? They can spend all day, every day, witnessing to everybody, and and that's wonderful, and they should. But, Lord, would you help them to to see that person when they're walking down the road? That's 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 ready. Would you help them to know when to sow the seed, and and as they sow the seed, would you take that and work in that person's heart and draw them to yourself? When we walk with Christ, he prompts us, remember, he sees everything. Jesus walked a predesigned path. A publican was convinced to see him. He saw the unseen. And the next thing I see here is verse number 7. It says, And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with the man that is a sinner. The next supernatural thing is that Jesus discerned the hearts of the entire multitude. Jesus discerned the heart of the entire multitude. How do you think Jesus knew they were all murmuring? Think he took a poll? Hey, is it it okay if I go to Zacchaeus' house today? Jesus knows everything, doesn't he? He knew the hearts of all of the people there. And they were all murmuring. Why were they upset? Why were they murmuring? Because Jesus was going to be home with who? A sinner. What does that say about the multitude? They didn't see themselves as what? Sinners. So I say to you this morning, out of this entire multitude, there was only one man that could be saved at this point in time. You realize that Jesus can only save that which is lost. Zacchaeus had come to the point when he realized, I'm lost. And Jesus saved him. But the rest of the multitude, at least at this point in time, I pray that many of them came to Christ later, they couldn't be saved. And you say, why? They didn't see themselves as lost. They were angry that Jesus went to the sinner's house. I mean, if if this was Jesus, he would have known who Zacchaeus is. Well, Jesus didn't know who Zacchaeus was. He was the only one that saw himself as a sinner. And I can say to you this morning, if there's never been a time in your life when you have seen yourself as lost and without hope and without God in the world, you've never been saved because Christ saves us from our sin. He takes us He takes our old nature and He gives us a new nature without sin. If you're not lost and you're not a sinner and your sins aren't bad enough to make you deserve hell and, and, and the lake of fire for eternity, then what on earth did you have to be saved from? Jesus saves bad people like me. He doesn't save good people. And if you've never seen yourself as bad, you've never been saved. Zacchaeus, he saw himself here. Jesus discerned the hearts of the multitude. When you go out and you witness and you tell people of Christ, just a practical thing, be careful to listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting and don't shove the gospel down someone's throat trying to force them to pray a prayer and accept Christ when they don't even see themselves as lost. There's a time to sow. And as much as we want to see fruit, you can drag somebody into the church and you can make them pray a prayer and pretend like a Christian, but it didn't change them. God is the one that changes souls. But they have to see that they're lost before they have anything to be saved from. You've got to be drowning if you're going to be rescued. Jesus walked a predesigned path. Publican was convinced to seek him. He saw the unseen. And he discerned the hearts of the entire multitude. The last thing I see here is the most amazing thing of all. Verse number eight and nine. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus created a new masterpiece, is the fifth supernatural act of God. He created a new masterpiece. Now, if we end at verse 8, we've got a problem. Was Zacchaeus saved by giving half of his goods to the poor and giving back four times as much? No. But thank the Lord for verse number 9 explains what happened in verse number 8. It says, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of who? Abraham. Remember Romans chapter number 4? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for what? Righteousness. You have to be righteous to get into heaven. What's righteousness? That was exactly right. Anybody want to raise their hand and say, That's me. No, if we're honest, we're saying, I'm a sinner. I'm not righteous. I'm not without sin. I'm not perfect. But Jesus was righteous. And he took our sin and his own body on the tree and he offers us the gift of his righteousness if we'll believe on him as our only Lord and Savior. Zacchaeus, just as Abraham this day, Zacchaeus believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's why we see the change in verse number 8. There was a belief in his heart that transformed his life. God is in the business of changing lives. He could have tried to turn over a new leaf, but that wouldn't have changed his heart. God changed his heart and so he turned over a new leaf and God transformed he went from a thief stealing money from poor to a philanthropist giving half of his goods to the poor and making right what he'd done wrong. You realize that God still does transform lives today. If yours has never been transformed God will transform it. He'll change it. He'll do it for your neighbors. He'll do it in the Solomon Islands. He'll do it in Bolivia with the McKinney's. He'll do it in Haiti and with the Haitians here in the States. He'll do it with the snowbirds that come down here to stay and then back home where they are, he's in, the, he's in the life-changing business. But if we don't walk with him and we don't believe him and we don't trust him and we don't give out the gospel, we don't send others to give out the gospel, we don't give of our resources to send others to give out the gospel, we're going to miss out. God wants to do a supernatural work right here in Sarasota. Starting in this church's life, in your life, and then reaching out from beyond. God's given you a great commission as a church to fulfill. You can't go to every country of the world, but you can send others. You can pray for them. You can beg God to send more laborers. You realize the only prayer request we see recorded that Jesus gave in the scriptures is that he asked us to pray for laborers. I think that if we obey and pray that request, God will answer it. He says if we pray anything according to his will, he heareth us. I know it's according to his will that he sends laborers. God will answer that prayer. We have to pray it. One last thing besides these five five supernatural things I see here in conclusion. I believe that in reaching Zacchaeus, Jesus did reach the multitude that day. You might say, well, how? Should you go back, put yourself in the story? Maybe you took off work that day. Maybe you, you lived there. You're a Jewish man or maybe a lady. And you took off work and stopped whatever you're doing and you followed Jesus. You're going to walk down the path with him. Maybe you traveled from another city to come over and see what was going on. You'd heard stories. Some say he's the Messiah. Some say about, talk of all the miracles he's done and the incredible things that have happened. And you're, you go there bubbling over with excitement and joy. The Messiah, maybe he's finally come. And you're following along in that crowd and you've got a different idea. You don't see a suffering servant as the Messiah. You see uh, a king. And you want Jesus to, to liberate uh, uh, Israel and to, to, to restore the kingdom, to bring the kingdom to the earth and to, to rule over. And you think that is what the Messiah is and you go and you're waiting to see what he's going to say, what he's going to do and following him. And then he gets up under the tree. He locks eyes with Zacchaeus and you look up. And maybe in your heart you're like, this is going to be good. Jesus is going to give him the what for? He's going to tell him how wicked he is and how bad of a sinner he is. And he's going to call him down from that tree. And he's going to give him a good chewing out and tell him he needs to repent. And then this supposed Messiah says, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. And your heart sinks and you think, what in the world? I don't understand. Why is Jesus going to the sinner's It can't be the Messiah. All of this excitement, all this hype for nothing. Because if he was the Messiah, he would know who Zacchaeus is. And obviously he doesn't, but we all do. And you turn around and you walk home discouraged, angry, murmuring in your heart, this Messiah is going home to be with sinners. Then maybe the next day, you get a knock on your door given American examples I don't know how they would have done it if they knocked on doors in Brazil there's walls around everything and we went up the gates and <laughs> clapped I remember the first time I came back I was knocking on the door well we were knocking on doors with a friend and I got to the other edge of the driveway and I almost clapped and I was like wait I can go up and knock on the door this is pretty neat but uh, I don't know exactly how it was done to communicate with people and to get a hold of them but say you get a knock on your door and you open it up and Zacchaeus is standing there you just saw him yesterday up in the tree. Maybe your first inclination is to just slam the door. I've already paid my taxes. Get out of my get out of get out of here. I don't want to see you. But you notice Zacchaeus has a different face this time. He doesn't have that haughty and that proud spirit with his hand out saying, Pay up. He's broken. And his appearance has changed. He's got a contrite heart, and he seems humble and, and broken because he has been. He's been broken by God. Maybe he's got a bag of money in his hand and, and some record book here. And he says, sir, is your name John? And he said, yeah, my name is John. And he says, sir, I, I stole from you. Last year on February the 22nd, I, I stole too much taxes from you. Sir, I, I'm sorry. I may have caused grief for your family. I may have caused you to have to work an extra job to try to make ends meet. I don't know what I've put you through, but please forgive me, sir. Here, Here's four times as much as I stole. Would you please accept this? Please forgive me for what I've done. God's forgiven me. Will you forgive me too? And you gladly accept the money and you think, what? I can't believe what I'm hearing. What, what's going on here? And then Zacchaeus begins to tell you a story. And he says, sir, you probably wonder why I'm here at your doorstep. You probably wonder why I'm giving you your money back with interest. I was, something drew me the other day. I, I was, actually just yesterday, I was I was about to go to a party and then I kept hearing about this Jesus, and I had to see who he was. I had to see, something just drew me. I had to find out. And I went and I climbed up into a tree. I wasn't planning on talking to anybody. And he gets under the tree, and Jesus looks up out of all the crowd, and he sees me. And I was afraid. I thought he was gonna. I thought he was gonna uh, uh, get onto me and chew me out, and 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 get because of my sin, because he knew me. It was like his eyes pierced right through me, but instead of, of, of giving me the what for, he said, I want to come to your house today, Zacchaeus. Like, yes. And I let him come, and he changed my life. He saved me. He transformed me, and sir, he'll change you too if you believe him. He's the Messiah. He saved me from my sin, and sir, he'll take yours away too. He'll forgive you if you believe him. Maybe he went to the next door and knocked again. Maybe, maybe there's a tree in the middle of town and he, maybe he went to that same sycamore tree and nailed a piece of paper to it and said, if I've stolen from you, come to my house and I'll pay you back four times as much. I don't know how he gave the money back, but he would have had to interact with a lot of people to return the money, wouldn't he have? To give half of his goods to the poor, he would have had to, it would have probably been known all over town. I can't help but think that many in this multitude that murmured, When Zacchaeus had Jesus to his house, one day after they saw Zacchaeus' transformed life, realized they too were lost and needed Jesus, and they were saved as a result of the transformed life of Zacchaeus. The most powerful testimony we have is a changed life. Maybe you say, I have been faithful, I have witnessed, I have prayed, and I don't see much fruit for it. Stephen was martyred. While Paul held his cloak, how many thousands and possibly tens of thousands came to Christ at the preaching of Paul? Stephen didn't get to see his fruit till he got to heaven, did he? You never know how many of that one you win to Christ will win others to Christ. We're all in this thing together. We sow. We water, but God gives the increased. But what we have to see is it's supernatural, and we have to trust God to do the work. Will you trust him to do it in your life, in your community's life, in your missionaries' lives, and pray that God will work through them? God wants the 8 billion people in this world to hear the gospel, and we have a responsibility to give it to them. What is your part? How will you be involved?